and I was thinking this past week of all the different availabilities that we have of different kinds of power in the world today. It's quite amazing. If you took someone that lived 100 years ago, and I don't think there's anyone here today that fits that bill yet, uh, the, the changes in that span of time of the availability of power to us is incredible, incredible indeed. Uh, I know somebody in the church that's having a, <clears throat> a classic car remodeled and redone from the 1960s, um, and almost 400 horses of power by a simple turn of a key that allows you to drive fast and wild. It's quite amazing if you think about that easy turn on of power. What about um, power tools? I've been on some mission trips before in the jungles of Guatemala in Haiti where there is no electricity, but there's a lot of hand tools. And if you've ever tried to saw something before with a hand saw the old style way, it takes five, ten times longer than it does with a tool that you turn on and zip right through a plank or a piece of wood. Think about, think about the power of the internet, your phone, if you will, that you can order your Christmas presents and have them delivered to your house with a simple pocket computer that you carry around with you. It's quite, quite amazing. And then, how about electricity? How about at your house? Did you think about today? The power that you had there. The power to just turn on the faucet and to get hot water to shower with? Some of you wouldn't look quite so good today if you didn't have that power. The power to, to turn on the heat to cook with, to warm something up is quite amazing. How about the power of a simple light switch to see at night? I was driving this last week down Davis Mill Road one night, and there is a house down there on the right. I don't know whose it is, but boom. In the distance, you see the glow. And as you pull up and drive by it, it is covered completely in Christmas lights because of the simple power of electricity. We live in a world where we take for granted, I think, I know, the power that is all around us. I want to talk about today the power of God in our lives because that's one that, that is not a modern marvel, if you will, that we might deal with on a daily basis. And yet it's very real and, and has a very profound effect on us if we will tap into it, if we will believe. And this goes along with the sermon series that I've been preaching in and through Advent. Uh, for the next slide, the scripture, it's focused on that Isaiah 9-6 passage where he is prophesying to the kings of old in, in the Old Testament about one that will be coming, a great king. And we know that that king was Jesus. Each week I've been talking about those four different names there in the last part of that verse, last week we talked about Jesus being our wonderful counselor. Today I want to talk about Jesus being our almighty God. He writes, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that is the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. Well, if you would pray with me, please. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. So three reasons this morning why we know that Jesus was mighty God, the power of God, the greatness of God, and the first of those is that he entered into our world, this world, in the flesh. Don't we celebrate that at Christmas? Don't we talk a lot about the baby? Don't we talk about Jesus being born in a manger as a person? As a man, the person known as Jesus. God decided to enter into this world from the throne of heaven despite the dirtiness, the sinfulness, the lack of standard, if you will, to be righteous and perfect as our creator would be. And he did so in the lowliest of places. The person of Jesus reminds us that God desire to come into the world to save us, to meet us where we are, and that has a great power and might in and of itself. We're going to sing the closing hymn today, that old Charles Wesley standard Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and stanza two says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God desired to come and be among us and did so in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. And so we celebrate that this time of year we prepare ourselves to think what difference could that have for me and for my world and our community and our church. The Gospels are very clear and very convincing that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God, not half God, not just a man that was a good teacher and a great uh, moral person or religious leader, but he was God and he claimed it and he lived it. No wonder that at the very beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist, the, the prophet, if you will, proclaimed about Jesus that as people were waiting expectantly and wondering if John might be the one that, that long ago had been proclaimed by Isaiah that they were desiring to know, Luke chapter 3 says that John answered them saying this, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not even worthy to tie, and he will baptize you with 
Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We know that Jesus was mighty God because he was proclaimed to be as such and showed us as such. The stories of him calming the stormy seas on the boat with the disciples scared to death that they were getting ready to drown. Him turning back the tide of, of ugliness of hate in the world, getting ready to convict and kill people. Jesus, the one that touched and healed those that, that had illnesses there was no treatment or no cure for in his day. Jesus that would drive away the dark minions of the soul that controlled people and darkened their lives. Jesus displayed his power throughout the Gospels because God came into the world to show his mightiness through one that was like us and yet better than us and purer than us. Emmanuel, God with us, it literally means. And so this time of the year we celebrate that we have a mighty God and that he has shown himself to be in the person of Jesus. Our scripture today, Paul writes about that divinity, about that power, about how God was in his fullness in Jesus. In the world, the power and the might of God. So we know that Jesus is our mighty God because he entered into the flesh through Jesus, but secondly, because he showed us and teaches us the power of humility. Humility, I'm talking about humbleness. Now, isn't that interesting? That in the world, we think power that enables us to do great things and, and to expand and explode things would not be found in meekness, in humility, in smallness. And yet, Jesus was born into the world just like that. As a tiny baby in, a, in, in just a backwater of a town in Bethlehem, where the, the oxen and the the ass were feeding on hay. It was a stable out back because, God forbid, there was not even a room for a pregnant mother about to give birth available in Bethlehem. And yet, out back with all the animals, God comes into the world in a very simple, small, unnoticed sort of way. And through him, through that one, through Jesus, he changed the world he went to the cross, forgave the sins of the world to save us, and rose from the grave to show us light that is everlasting. If Jesus was the power of God, the mighty God, why didn't he come riding on a horse? Or why wasn't he born in a palace of power, of Herod, of someone that had so many things at their disposal? Paul reflects on this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He, he writes the message of the cross, which he refers to in the Colossians verse I read for you, verses. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. For it is written by God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Who's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? 
Paul continues in writing, where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Jesus humbled himself in great humility to show us his greatness. God coming to, to bow himself before us to show us that the greatest among us is indeed a servant of all. Now, I don't know about you, but in the world, that's not the way it works, is it? It's not. We see and we watch those that rise to power, power in this world. But very seldomly do we see people that come in humility and show the power that is found in that. If there's one thing that I love about Jesus' Beatitudes, it reminds us that there is great power in perceived weakness. It's a hidden power. It's a power from above that can't come with the push of a button or the turn of a key. It's the power of God for you and for me. And we find it when we are humble and we place ourselves at his feet to worship. I love that story about Tom Brokaw. Do you all know him? He's been retired for quite a while now from journalism. He shows up from time to time on TV. But he was in a very prominent position up until his retirement. Back in the day when Americans would get their news only from two places. Either the print newspaper or magazine or on television, network or cable news. Now we get it from all different places, all different facets and areas. But, but back in the day, he was one of three big network journalists who were anchor chairs on the nightly national news. NBC he worked for, and he moved his way up. Tom Brokaw did across his career, across his years. He started out in, in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, eventually went on to Los Angeles and worked for some time, then to Washington to cover the national politics scene, and then on to New York. And he became one of the co-hosts for the Today Show, and then eventually the network chair for, for the nightly news. He writes and tells the story about an incident that happened when he had just started as co-host for, for the Today, the, the morning show, uh, nationally broadcast. He was shopping one day in New York City, and as he did, there was a guy that stopped and looked at him just passed right by him as he was looking at things on the shelf. And the guy said, Tom Brokaw, right? Well, he thought to himself, wow, even strangers now are thinking they know who I am. And he started to reach into his pocket to see if he could find a pen because he just knew that a, a, a request for a signature would be coming soon. And the man said, yeah, you used to be in, in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm from there. I remember you were on the morning local news station. Tom Brokaw said, yes, you've got that right. And then the man stopped and looked at him and paused for a minute and said, by the way, whatever happened to you anyway? <laughs> and Tom Brokaw wrote that in a moment, he was humbled. He was reminded that power and that greatness does not come in, in the platitudes and in the things that this world lifts up, but in simple humility person to person, man to man in that situation. We, we all need to hear the message today that, that Jesus' might and power came in the package of humility. 
And if we will follow likewise and put our own agendas and our own things aside and seek out his kingdom first and its righteousness, then all these other things that God offers to us will be added unto you, as Jesus said. One last reason today why we know that Jesus is the mighty God that Isaiah had prophesied about 700 and something years before is simply because he, he fights and can win our essential battles in life. Jesus has a power that enables us to overcome all things in this world. And I can't fully explain that with words in a sermon, but it's true. And it's right, and it's pure, and it's good. I was describing last week the geopolitical landscape there for, for Israel, for actually Judah, the southern part of the kingdom, when Israel broke apart in a, in a split. And there in Jerusalem, Isaiah was for 40 years a prophet to the kings that, that were in the palace there. And he spoke to them the things of God. He was a prophet, a mouthpiece of God to them. And in this situation in which, into which Isaiah is speaking, he's talking about the great superpower empires that are around them and are ominous and seem to be overtaking the world around them. And so Israel, or Judah in this instant, and the kings in Jerusalem and their military advisors, they decide that they need to take it upon themselves to come together and form a coalition and to fight the big giant and tamp him down, this empire, so that, that they can have their prominence once again. Now, there's a lot of theories and a lot of reasons that scholars will say why it is that, that Judah, that the kings and the military leaders in Jerusalem wanted to go and and join in a coalition to battle the great empires such as Assyria and Babylon. But really, there's not any real good reasons that they decided to do that. Some think, well, they might have been scared, or maybe like us as Americans, they, they were fighting for their independence. That was not the case. These great empires that were close by did not invade them, were not an occupying army like the Romans were in Jesus' time, and so they had their freedom to come and go and do as they pleased. And so they did not take up arms to cast out the occupying force. Maybe it's because they had to pay every year, or somehow or another, a, an amount of money to the kings and to the empires, kind of uh, a peacekeeping gift, if you will, that was required, a tribute of all of the nations that were surrounding the empires. But that was not the case. They were not running out of money because they lived in a land that was still prosperous, a gift to them from God, a promised land. And through that land was the king's highway, the premier, the primary route of trade in the Middle Eastern part of the world where where goods and things would come. Great wealth was theirs, and they had to give a portion of that to the nearby empire. It's not that they didn't have what they needed to survive. It's that they were greedy, perhaps, scholars think. 
Maybe it was because of pride. Maybe they wanted to take up arms to tamp down the, the Goliath, if you will, because they were among the Davids, the smaller countries and forces. And yet into that, Isaiah says, you know, you need to rely upon God, not upon your own understanding and your own might to take on this great behemoth, this great Goliath. Isaiah says to the king there in Jerusalem and to, to all of God's people that they watch over and rule over to let God choose and fight the battles that need to be fought. I need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear that. That some battles in life just maybe are not worth waging. Maybe sometimes we get ourselves in too deep or we think that maybe we know what is best when in fact God has a bigger plan and something greater coming along that will provide the need that we have in a way only that God could provide it. I know that uh, in, in my own personal experience, the, the phrase choose your battles wisely in life is important. Have you found that to be true? Just to jump in and be reactive and explosive about everything that comes against you or that upsets you is going to lead you to a place where you're going to spend a lot of energy and time and resources, sometimes with no benefit or no lasting result because of it. I think it's important for us in our battles in life to, to ask, first of all, is, is this something God would have me to do? Isaiah, the prophet, spoke to the, the kings there in Jerusalem, but you and I should consult this wonderful counselor we have, and that comes through prayer. When something is facing you ahead, that's not going to be easy to take on. Have you thought maybe praying about it first would give you a sense of peace of knowing whether or not it's something that God would have you to do or just something of your own pride or ego? What a, to ask the question, why am I driven to want to enter into this conflict and face what it is that's in front of me? Is, is it something that maybe our motives, if checked, we would find would not be worth time and energy and the, the effort that we put into it? What about the benefit for us of, of waging a war or fighting a battle that is in front of us? We need to gauge it based upon whether it'll make any difference or not in the bigger scheme of things. Perspective I'm talking about here. Instead of just raging against the machine, um, to say, can I make a difference in in taking on what I have to take on, this battle before me. Now, some battles are worth taking on in life. Some have to be taken on when we are, are confronted in such a way that we have to protect ourselves, or when, when it is that um, it's only up to us to face the thing that's conflicting us. Some of our battles are going to be of flesh and blood, right? Some are going to be battles of temptation that we have. Some will be battles of illness that we face. Maybe it'll be a battle of personal demons that haunt us our whole life through. Maybe it's interpersonal battles that we face, a difficult boss or, or a competitor that we have to deal with on an ongoing basis. 
Maybe it's a wayward child or a, a difficulty in a, in a bigger family setting or situation. Maybe it's an inability on our behalf to forgive someone even though they've asked for an apology and said they were sorry for what they did. Maybe we face spiritual battles. Spiritual battles in front of us. Things like letting go of the past when we've made mistakes and have long been forgiven by God and by others and yet we just seem to cling on to them and make them a part of who we are. Maybe, maybe the spiritual battle of letting our ego go and in humility setting aside that pride so that, that we can live in peace and reconcile things as Christ came to show us, Paul points out. Some battles are worth fighting for, for survival and for prosperity, and they must be faced. And yet, above all things here today, this, okay? That whatever battle it is that you face, let Jesus carry that battle for you. It can be very tiring. You can be very war-weary and battle-worn by taking on the battles of this world that you cannot handle yourself. Give those up to God. Just surrender them and let go of them. You may not be able to control the outcome like that, but there are some things in life you need to let go of, or they will eat you alive. And there are battles in all of these categories, of flesh and blood, of interpersonal relationships, and of the spiritual realm that Jesus is willing and able to fight on our behalf. It's simply a matter of worshiping him and understanding that in the humility of setting aside our pride and ego, that laying it at the feet of his cross is where our power can be found. This is not the kind of power that you find in the instant of pushing a button or turning a key, but it is a power worth surrendering ourselves for so that we may receive. It's the power of God. And Jesus came into the world God came into the world to deliver it to us all. Are you willing to let him and to let go of your battles for him to take it on on your behalf? That's my prayer today. So.